Welcome to Marvel Us Disney. Welcome to Marvel Us Disney, the podcast that tries to keep you informed about all the current doings at one of the Walt Disney Company's more interesting divisions, Marvel. As for who the us is, I'm Jim Hill, and let me bring in my favorite Marvel expert, Aaron Adams. Aaron, happy holidays. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, and if I'm leaving anything out, I'm, I'm sorry, but... Festivus, happy Festivus. Festi- oh, Festivus. Let's right. complain about That's Festivus. right. I've got my aluminum pole here ready to go. Awesome. Given the time of year we're recording the show, folks, we're going to do something a little different with this show. We're, we are looking back on 2017 as well as looking forward to honestly what looks like an amazing year for Disney and Marvel coming in 2018. We've kind of broken down our roles a little differently here. Aaron's actually going to weigh in with some opinions here about how things did over the year. I'm going to fall back on my standard numbers guy thing. We'll do a quick walkthrough of the big things for 2017, which actually started off on way on the other side of the world, January 11, 2017, with the opening of Hong Kong Disneyland's Iron Man experience. Now, you're familiar with this, Aaron, right? Actually, no. I've been so absorbed in the movies and the cinematic universe and the TV shows, mm-hmm. and I've always been so far away from a Disneyland or a Disney World that it requires an amount of vacation I've never had available to me. Okay, well, hopefully we can change that in the not-so-distant future, because as I understand it, this attraction is coming to Anaheim in the not-so-distant future. This is actually envisioned to be part of the Marvel land that's going to be sort of expanding out at Disney's California Adventure out around the Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout attraction. But it's basically sort of Star Tours revisited, only you start off with a visit to the Stark Expo and then in the fine Disney tradition, something goes horribly wrong. But it's been incredibly well received. And again, it's on its way here, stateside, or at least to the Anaheim Disney Resort fairly soon. Speaking of something that wasn't necessarily all that well received, March 23rd of this year, the the first season of Iron Fist dropped on Netflix. And you did watch this, right? Unfortunately, yes, I did watch it. I rooted for it, but man, I had problems from beginning to end with it. It was my least favorite of all of the Defenders shows. So it's actually in my countdown list not quite dead bottom. Mm-hmm. Something else was below that. Okay. Okay. So when we get to the countdown list, we'll reveal that. Jumping ahead here to May 5th of this year, that's when we got our next installment of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which James Gunn and Chris Lord and the crew coming back with much enthusiasm. And what was kind of interesting is this is the first time day and date with the movie opening at Disney's Hollywood Studios. In fact, if you were in Florida, you could have gone over to the Disney Springs AMC theaters, caught the movie, and then gone over to Disney Hollywood Studios and actually met with Star-Lord and a baby Groot, which Nancy and I actually got to experience this past November when we were down for a Disney press event. Uh-huh. And the puppet, I initially thought, okay, so it's something that's kind of on a cycle, and it turns out, no, it's actually being puppeteered from backstage. It interacts with you in the moment, the Star-Lord or the cast member who's playing Star-Lord kind of guides you through what's going on. But it was this baby group puppet who's about, I want to say, eight inches, maybe nine inches tall, mm-hmm. but really cleverly done. So that opens on the East Coast. And then just three weeks later on the West Coast, we have the opening of Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout on May 27th. And again, I think we told the story in the show here where James Gunn was on stage talking about how thrilled he was that he actually got to make a Disney theme park attraction that most people dream of getting Oscars when they work in film. And it's like, no, I want an attraction. In fact, they carved out an entire day during the shooting of volume two just to create the film elements for this attraction. But very quickly became the most popular attraction on the West Coast, according to the guest surveys. In fact, and Disney had been very, very nervous about this because, of course, this was a replacement for Tower for California. And same day that this debuts, 
California rolls out a summer-long uh, Summer of Heroes promotion at that same theme park where they introduced uh, Avengers Training Initiative Stunt Show. Uh, you could have what they called heroic encounters, which are basically meet and greets with Spider-Man, Captain America, Black Widow, and one of the odder but more fun things, they actually had a Guardians of the Galaxy awesome dance-off where... <laughs> It fits. Yeah, it did. I mean, mean, Star-Lord won the first movie with a dance-off, so sure, why not? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, and then uh, jump ahead to July, we had a film that, as we'll point out later in the show, you think very, very highly of. Spider-Man Homecoming rolled into theaters. It was one of my favorite times of the movie this year. I think they made so many smart choices. Let's remember, this was... The infamous Sony basically reaching out to Marvel Studios and to Disney, and it's like, help. Yeah, and thank God they had the reason of mind to do that. Mm -hmm. It was a good deal for everybody involved. No, absolutely, and it's the gift that keeps on giving between the way that character was introduced in 2016 with Captain America. Civil War. Oh, yeah. That was killer, and to have that pay off with the way that Iron Man and... uh, Peter. Yeah, I mean, it just works within a film. It was amazing. Yep. Jumping ahead just a few weeks here, July 15th, the D23 Expo, Bob Chapek, the head of Disney Parks and Resorts, reveals that a Guardians of the Galaxy ride will be opening at Epcot in 2019. This is, is a replacement for Ellen's Energy Adventure, the longtime Future World attraction, which actually then closed on August 3rd of this year. Okay. Jumping ahead, same month, August 19th, Marvel Spider-Man animated series. This, I think, is the third since Disney acquired Marvel back in, in 2009. I haven't kept track of a lot of the animated stuff after the Disney acquisition. Usually, whenever there was a Spider-Man cartoon, I would just go out and buy the DVD set and then plow through it. So if there's three, that means I got to go at least buy two and prepare to buy a third one. (laughs) Well, I, I guess what intrigues me about this one is they went in with a very heavy stem sensibility to the show i mean the whole notion Uh is that peter parker is able to do what he does because he's as bright as he is and it's just right it's been an interesting show i don't know if it's entirely successful but it's one of those things where what's the polite way to put this the chocolate covered bran muffin uh yeah 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 like uh, bill nye the science guy you know he was able to deliver information and knowledge through entertainment and breaking things down for kids to understand which i'm all for if you can sneak in uh education into your entertainment for the kids more power to you i think it's a great thing i guess my only concern is that so many of the classic spider-man villains have turned out to be teachers at this school that somehow then get turned uh, it just brings into question what is the school bird's hiring practice <laughs> right. Do you have some emotional issues or incipient you know, superpowers that we should be aware of before we... Look, when they're not getting reimbursed for the investments they make in school supplies, they have to resort to villainy to recoup some of that money. So that's the explanation I can come up with. Okay. All right. Sliding ahead to September here. We have 15th of that month. We have a first for Disney. They had just opened in May the Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout attraction. And here's a brand new version of that very same ride that actually it's kind of a sequel. It's called Monsters After Dark. And the conceit of this attraction is that the rescue attempt that you had previously taken part in in Mission Breakout, breaking the the Guardians out of the collector's display, so to speak, Mm you had accidentally left Groot behind. And now you have to go back into the building. But now all the monsters have been let loose. And it was a ridiculously entertaining take on this attraction and the fact that they were able to knock this out within just a few months of the opening. And not only Mm -hmm. that, that it was just this thing that only ran in the parks from the 15th of September through October 31st, and then it was gone. Right. In fact, that was also the other fun conceit of the attraction is that this only became the Monsters After Dark after dark. They had to wait till the sun went down or it was dusk, and then cool. they would change the ride profile. And finally, on the last day or so, it was so hugely popular, and there were so many people who wanted to ride the thing. They were like, okay, fine. Our Halloween treat to everyone is that um, Monsters After Dark will run all day long. Mm-hmm. But looking very much forward to that coming back in 2018. Meanwhile, another arm of the Disney company walks out the Disney Cruise Line. They launch a Marvel Day at Sea promotion on October 6th of this year. 
this is the first time really that they had begun walking the Marvel characters, putting them on the cruise line. And so you could do meet and greets with Spider-Man, Iron Man, and again, you know, looking ahead here to what's coming in February, Black Panther. And then mm-hmm. likewise, there were also other classic Marvel characters on the boat. You could get time with Captain America, Thor, Black Widow, Hawkeye, Doctor Strange himself. I got to ask you one yeah. very important question as a Marvel geek. Yep. Are these guys in movie quality costumes or are they in thrift store looking costumes? It's funny that you bring that up because so many of these outfits were so elaborate. You have a lot of little kids that who maybe just come from the buffet. So supposedly they travel with three sets of costumes for each performer Mm -hmm. that's assigned to play a character on a cruise. And as they come off stage, that very ridiculously expensive outfit has to then be meticulously cleaned and be ready to go into the rotation further on down the line. And yeah, if anything, I remember talking with the folks who were doing the Doctor Strange outfit and the let's put it this way you could have bought several cars for what they spent on his cloak okay good see now that would make it worth it to me because there's really nothing that would excite me that much to go oh i really have to go do that or travel to this location but if i did have a stable of marvel characters all in like movie quality costumes and i could be on that boat and just geek out for a week and take really up close photographs because i mean as a nerd you really want to be able to see all the detail and embroidery and and the stupid stuff that you can't really get to see in the movies and whatnot so if i were walking up to captain america and he had a plastic shield i'd be highly offended because i've got a metal shield myself and it's like why don't you have one you should have one well you know (laughs) it's so funny you bring this up because the imagers really worked hard at preserving what we know of the marvel world like for example they had a thor meet and greet that was actually at disneyland but they had this wonderful moment where the cast member was playing thor would just sort of be there hoisting his hammer and then place it down on a platform in front of you and invite you to pick it up. And you couldn't. The electromagnet gag. There we go. But again, the lovely thing was that he could do it, but you could not. And for the Marvel fans, they were actually kind of thrilled that the rules that we have seen from the comics and the movies apply in this space. That's awesome. That's a nice detail that you can't get anywhere else. And I'm happy to see they take those extra steps because that's what makes it worth the experience. Oh, absolutely. And, And speaking of Thor, of course, November 3rd of this year, we had Thor Ragnarok come out. And we've obviously talked about that on this podcast previously, and both big fans of that. Uh, same mm-hmm. thing, November 29th of this year, the teaser trailer for Avengers Infinity Wars came out. By the way, did you see that this trailer was viewed 230 million times in the first 24 hours it was available online? Not surprised at all. Really? Yeah, I mean, the first movie directed by John Favreau, Iron Man, was what, 2007? Mm-hmm. So we've got a full decade invested into this. And again, like I said in the previous show, there are so many individual superheroes that someone may be a personal fan of that they may not have to care about Thor and Cap. If they love Iron Man, they're going to see Avengers. And it works for every one of those heroes. If you don't care about Iron Man then and you love Thor, you're going to still see it. So, I mean, you got 10 years invested in the story. Everybody wants to see Thanos. You've got all these heroes coming from every corner of the Marvel Universe and they're all going to be there. So, yeah, if you're a fan of anything that Marvel's done in the last 10 years, there's something in it for you. And that's a wide net. No, and, and let's face it, the net got wider on December 14th, where in, when finally the deal we've been talking about actually happened. Disney buys the select assets from 21st Century Fox. Precise financials, $52.4 billion deal, but Disney also assumed $13.7 billion of debt that Fox had accumulated. Total, $69 billion, but totally an all-stock deal. Upside is that the Marvel Cinematic Universe just got bigger. In fact, my understanding is the plans for the fourth part of the series are very much in flux at the moment because Mm -hmm. it's determining... What do we do? How do we acknowledge this? How do we bump out the borders? And at the same time, evidently, Kevin Feige has been warning everybody. It's like, look, 
I want us to be proactive here, but I want us to be realistic. You know, we are mm-hmm. a year to a year and a half before we're going to know that this deal is closed, that there's right. a number of government agencies and that sort of thing have to sign off on this. And between what's going on with Sky over in Europe, this could go south. So it's just sort of like stay the course, but be aware of the possibilities, the opportunities here. They're probably creating a plans A, B, and C. A, if we move forward, B, if it goes south, and C, if we get something, but not all of it the other contingency, whatever that may be. I've heard through friends that there's actually been some conversations about reaching out to Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart. And it's one of these things where it's like, uh, for me, I get that. I get that you would want to have sort of a torch passing moment. Right. But given what just happened with Logan, didn't we just pass the torch and first off there's a lot of stuff that happened in the x-men fox continuity that had been rewritten through later films Mm -hmm. and just because we saw the end of logan's life doesn't necessarily mean that there wasn't some other key event that happened somewhere just a few months or years before that you know i mean they gave him gray hair and a thick beard and made him look old the dude's ripped and he can look five to ten years younger than that very easily with a shave and better makeup So, I mean, they can still do a Logan story. I just don't think that whole thing works just because of what I had hypothesized in the earlier episode of the way that Storm summons lightning and the world is afraid of her. Thor summons lightning. The world loves him. Mm -hmm. The two worlds that they're living in right now don't jive with one another at the moment. So I think a relaunch is in order. And besides, you've had many movies with a Professor Xavier played by Patrick Stewart, and then we've had another one that was played by James McAvoy. And I think right now is about... And then we even had one where they are both in the same movie. And I think that, you know, this is is just a time to relaunch it. And then, hey, if they get Deadpool into the stable, I'm sure he'll make a comment about the recasting of both McAvoy and Stewart and who's the new Professor X. It would just seem appropriate. Well, uh, speaking of which, I love the fact that Bob Iger actually addressed the Deadpool issue. And basically, it's like, as long as we make people aware that a Deadpool movie is, in fact, a Deadpool movie, we have no problem with that. Right. I'm kind of encouraged by that, that evidently the same assurances that were made to Pixar and were made to Lucasfilm and were made to Marvel, the whole notion of like, that's your silo, what you guys do. We love. And so we'll respect that. We'll support that. We're not here to mess with what you do well. We're just here to put the might of the Disney company behind you from a promotion point of view, from a licensing point of view, and to possibly leverage these things across all of our delivery platforms and into our cruise lines and our theme parks. So it's not a notion of we're not out to change what you do, especially when you look at the financials from the Deadpool movie. And speaking of financials, just a day or so ago, Disney announced that they crossed the $6 billion mark at the global box office. And a quarter of that total came from two Marvel movies. So Guardians of the right. Galaxy Worldwide made $863.5 million, and Thor Ragnarok to date has made $844 million. Right. Now, before we launch into talking about 2018, Aaron was nice enough to share his take on this year and the stuff that you thought that worked so well. And I would really love to step over into that stuff now because I, okay. I love how you hit on what worked and what didn't this year. Well, I mean, again, these are all opinions. And if anyone disagrees, then we respect your opinion and post them in the comments because we like to see what other people think. But we only have three movies to go over so quickly. Coming in at number three, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. It was a great movie, but other movies were an inch better. Number two, Thor Ragnarok. Again, super great movie. I loved it just an inch more than Guardians of the Galaxy. And then number one, because I'm a Spider-Man fan, should be no surprise, Spider-Man Homecoming is my number one movie of the year. Honestly, I think all three of them could be tied for number one because it was a very, very strong year for Marvel movies, and none of them were duds. I mean, as you just said, Jim, from how much they made, there's nothing wrong with any of these movies. So it was a great year for Marvel, and it was kind of stupid to have to make a list because I should just be able to put them all at number one, but I think that would be the cheap way out, so we have to put them in order. 
before I forget here, it's worth noting that of the three, yeah. the one that came in at the highest uh, gross worldwide, and that was $880 million, that was Spider-Man Homecoming. To be fair, Thor Ragnarok does still have to chug around the world, and there will be mm-hmm. other territories it's opening up in, but yeah. that's a tough number to beat. They're all very, very strong movies, and I think they're all good character progressions for the characters. Thor seemed kind of stagnant. From movie one, he had a nice little arc where he was unworthy, then he was worthy. Two, he didn't seem to grow very much as a character. And then uh, the third one, it was it was an evolution, I think, for Thor as a character. So I really enjoyed all three movies very, very much. They're all great. It's kind of intriguing that you know, you're know such a big fan of what Marvel did for film, whereas television not so much so no i'm i have a few problems so we did hit on that i thought iron fist was very very bad Mm -hmm. and it didn't hit the bottom spot so what is the worst of 2017 in marvel television i think most people would agree it's in humans my note specifically next to it calls it flaming garbage and you can feel free to drop it off the queue. I really tried to root for it. I made it all the way through, and it was just like, mm, no, I'm not coming back for a second season of this. Number six is Iron Fist. Again, smoldering garbage. Feel free to drop it off the queue. You won't be missing much. If anything, the character of annoying... <laughs> I was called them annoying fist. <laughs> mm-hmm. The problem of Iron Fist is that he's a mostly annoying character. Every episode, he says the, he's the immortal Iron Fist, and he's almost beaten by some lackey who barely knows kung fu. The fighting is very stilted and looks horrible, if you compare it to something like Daredevil. So it was rough around the edges in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Moving on to number five, Runaways. I had no expectations for it to be anything, and it turned out to be really pretty decent, and it was actually going to be almost number four until Jim gave a thumbs up to the season's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So I had to plow through and get caught up to that, and he's right. I had to move it up the queue. It is now higher in priority than it was about two weeks ago. My number three defenders... I was happy to see the entire team together, with the exception of Iron Fist. Feel free to move it up your queue if you're a fan of Jessica Jones and Luke Cage and Daredevil, because it was great to see them to come together. My number two for Marvel Television is Punisher. It was brutal, but it also had a much-needed character arc for the Punisher to develop beyond the big guy with the guns. And then, surprise, surprise, my number one Marvel TV isn't really a legitimate Marvel. It's a Fox Marvel, and that's Legion. It was crazy insane to watch. I think it broke 90% of the rules of television. Took me totally by surprise. I was thoroughly engrossed. Yes, there may be some flaws within the entire series, but it was so unique, and it stood out, and it took so many risks that I felt it had to be number one there. Okay, so now, having looked at 2017, and that's getting ready to go in the rearview mirror here, it's now time to pivot to 2018, which is really shaping up to be an incredible year for Marvel and Disney fans. In fact, for those of you who are kind of intrigued about what I was talking about previously, the Marvelous Sea Sailings, Disney's got eight of these set up for the spring of 2018. They start on the first week of January, and they look like every uh, two and three weeks they get them going. These are five-day cruises, January 21st, February 4th, the 18th of February, then there's one in March on the 18th, and then three in April, the 1st, the 15th, and 29th. But if any of you folks actually do one of these cruises, we'd love to hear from you about how you feel about it, just what it was like. Do they think it was worth the value? But again, let's remember the other thing that early part of next year is February 16th. We've got Black Panther dropping. And obviously, again, this is the character that was introduced back in April of 2016 with the Russo brothers' Captain America Civil War. There's been a really well-received trailer out there. But what's kind of intriguing to me is, of course, you've got the trailer for the actual movie, but you've also got the trailer for Infinity Wars that shows the Black Panther character right in the middle of that battle. In fact, all of us are aware that they filmed Infinity Wars as basically two films, and that the second film, which is now known as Avengers 4, drops on May 3rd, 2019. But in between these two films, we've got on July 16th, we've got Ant-Man and the Wasp. But 
I want to say that when I saw the Infinity Wars footage at the D23 Expo, and remember, there's a number of chunks of footage they showed us there that haven't shown up in teaser trailers, that haven't showed up in anything. I want to say that I saw Ant-Man in this thing. And if that's the case, how do you do the, this is a standalone story? I guess, do you just pick up after what we saw in the last Ant-Man movie or... Well, think about how Marvel handled Tony Stark in Iron Man 3 after the first Avengers. He had his whole post-traumatic stress thing. So far, Ant-Man had his solo adventure. He's been in Civil War. He will have already been in Avengers Infinity War by that point. So when it comes to Ant-Man and the Wasp, he will have had quite a bit of history already behind him. So they can really take him anywhere. There could be leftover bad guys from Infinity War they have to deal with. I think Kevin Feige mentioned after Spider-Man Homecoming, a lot of the materials that were in the plane crash at the end of the movie could be used later as uh, bits and pieces of fodder for other superheroes to have to deal with throughout later parts of the movies. So they really could go absolutely anywhere with Ant-Man, regardless of what happens in the Avengers. Also... Every hero will be in the Avengers Infinity War movie, Mm -hmm. pretty much. I'm assuming due to contracts, some of them won't come out alive. I'm also just taking a wild guess that Avengers 4 will be called The New Avengers. I do believe Ant-Man and Wasp, since it will be the first movie after Avengers Infinity War, there will be repercussions felt or echoing through that movie. But I also believe that because it's titled Ant-Man and the Wasp, that it will be some sort of team up that they have to complete whatever the objective is. And honestly, when you break down storytelling, there's man versus man, man versus self and man versus nature. So they can either be battling a bad guy. They can be battling some cosmic unnatural nature element, or they can be battling amongst themselves. I think it's going to be a bad guy. Okay. Friends have been sneaking me footage. They've been shooting in and around the streets of Atlanta doing some pretty spectacular car-related stunts lately. So, cool. Cannot wait to see how this cuts together. And we've talked about the Venom film that's coming out in October of next year. But the films I was most excited to see changed this month when that trailer for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse came out of, of Sony yeah. Pictures Animation. That was really beautiful. Well, it's actually my daughter that pointed out to me that so much of that film echoes the look of the comics. That it's not just an animated yeah. feature. It is a legitimate attempt to do a Marvel comic book movie in the style of the actual books. The trailer was just so spectacular. Here's the main thing about what I noticed for the look of Mm -hmm. the Spider-Man trailer Mm -hmm. into the Spider-Verse is that my belief is DC animation Mm -hmm. has been killing it with their animated movies. And a lot of stuff I watch from Marvel in comparison just doesn't look as good. I mean, there's something about the animation that has seemed 25 cents less than whatever DC is putting out. And it always kind of bums me out that DC's just rocking it so hard and I'm, I'm wishing Marvel were better. And I think this is Sony, if they can't do a live action film without it being Marvel, they can always jump into the Miles Morales story, which hasn't been told yet in any form outside of comic books. So they can really make something that looks gloriously beautiful that beats anything DC's been done to date. And I think they just raised the bar with what an animated film can look like for both Marvel and DC. This is supposed to be the Jane, you ignorant slut moment, you know, where we disagree Uh, on uh, something. But I have to say that you are so dead on with the DC animated things. In fact, it has always made me crazy that you look at these amazing DC home premieres and how well they look and how the great animation and how well they're written and then you look at what's going on on the feature the theatrical releases and it's just sort of like why is it that you do such 
good quality work, film after film after film with these home premieres. And nobody thinks that, let's bring those guys over to work on the features. Yeah. When you look at the body of work, and I want to say just recently, they released an anniversary package where it was the 20 some odd of, of these movies. And there isn't a dud in the bunch. Right. And it just it makes me crazy that, that it's like they do such good work. In fact, you know, this is really telling. My daughter, Alice, is out visiting with me right now. And so we've been going out and catching some movies. And so just the other day, it's like, hey, you know, we could go out and catch Justice League because neither of us have seen it. And Alice is like, yeah. Um, how about The Disaster Artist, where it's wow. a movie about celebrating a really terrible movie. And it's like, she wants to go see that overseeing Justice League. Actually, I would probably take The Disaster Artist over Justice League as well. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Again, I'm sorry for you folks at Warner's, but again... Do the smart thing. Go reach out to Paul Dini and Andrea Romano and all of those folks. They have done killer work for decades. Why wouldn't you bring them into the building to do the actual features? I don't understand this. Wonder Woman is a step in the right direction. And latest Justice League was better than Batman versus Superman. So as long as I'm seeing improvement, I'm not going to just poop all over their plate no no i get that i absolutely (laughs) so all right well anyway it's not just the films we're looking forward to it's also what marvel television has got in works for uh, 2018 and again i love your list aaron can can you walk us through that sure you know it's funny because i gotta switch shield and runaways again so we're gonna just start at the bottom at inhumans and iron fist please be canceled We'll leave it at that. Okay. I never want to wish an actor or a creative person out of work, but it's just, yeah, I guess with with Inhumans, it was just, what's the old Muppet joke? I've seen better film on teeth. (laughs) Yes. How do you make Hawaii look bad? All right. Anyway. I think it would take way too much for them to reinvent the show Mm -hmm. and new writers and, you know, building sets that aren't just white concrete, as you mentioned previously. I mean, they they would have to make a boatload of changes very drastically. And it's just like, I don't think anybody was on board from the beginning. Go ahead and let it go. And the dude that never said anything, Black Bolt, Mm -hmm. I thought he was one of the most interesting characters and he never said a word. So what's that tell you? Well, Marcel Marceau had quite the career he did no he was he did good for not not speaking i thought it was a brave choice for an actor honestly i gave him credit for that much but uh moving on number seven runaways i enjoyed it but it's half season right now so i don't know it could go either way so far it's pretty decent and then we move on to agents of shield uh, i have no idea where they're going it's one of the first times i've been excited about agents of shield in a long time so that's a good vibe We'll move up to number five, Cloak and Dagger. I haven't seen anything about it except that they're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And so right now, it's a world of possibility in my mind. They could go, you know, as crazy as Legion or as vanilla as Inhumans. I don't know, but I'm excited to find out. I guess my only concern, are are you familiar with the webcomic Hark of Agrant? No. They did a wonderful series of cartoons about cloak and dagger and basically about the poor young lady who wears the dagger outfit where it's sort of like where exactly are you getting this thing that shows that much cleavage well i'm assuming that they will make more appropriate costume changes much like scarlet witch in the avengers is not wearing a leotard so i'm sure there'll be some costume changes and it won't be 100 percent sexualized here we go moving up the list number four Mm -hmm. luke cage season two I really, really enjoyed Luke Cage season one. He would have been up there in my top list, but he was a a 2016 show, so I I couldn't put him there, but we're going to get him back in 2018, and I'm excited for that. Also, we've got Daredevil season three. Don't know when the date is. They haven't announced it, but they said sometime in 2018. And where they left Daredevil at the end of The Defenders makes me say, well, how are they going to handle that one? So... I'm ready for that. My number two is Legion season two. Again, wasn't a proper Marvel thing. That was a Fox TV show, but 
it blew my sweet little mind wide open, and I loved it so much I'm going to throw it in the list, and my list, my rules. And then we go to my number one most anticipated, Jessica Jones Season 2. And the reason is, I just love the cast oh, yeah. so, no, so no. much. David Tennant is oh, wonderful. David Tennant, who played Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. No. And we love, love, love that specific mm. incarnation of Doctor Who so very, very much. And to see him play a bad guy, but a charming bad guy who's motivated out of a pure love, no matter how sick and twisted it was, he still had a charm and a menace in the same sentence that you really have to be a really deep, complex actor to be able to find both of those things and put them on display like that. So I just really have a great appreciation for him as the bad guy. And Kristen Ritter is oh. Jessica Jones. I think she's gorgeous and I think she's powerful and I like her. I like the fact that they don't hide the fact that she's a bit of a drunk. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't really wash that up and, and sanitize her. They give her her faults and she's got a lot of growing to do. And, and I just cannot wait for season two. So that's my number one. The one-two puncher of Kristen Ritter and David Tennant. He was the Doctor Who that got me into the new Doctor Who. In fact, I remember coming home for Christmas and I come across this footage of David Tennant at the wheel of what turned out to be the Space Titanic. And it was falling out of the sky and about to land on Buckingham Palace. And it was one of, <laughs> and it was one of these things, what the hell am I watching? Right. And yeah. it was a, I was completely sucked in from that moment. And then the plus of that he turned out to be such a wonderful doctor. And then it's been a wonderful run. And the nice young woman who's about to take over for the doctor, she has some, some awfully big high heels to fill. All right, fans, be listening for our Doctor Who podcast. Um, coming in a couple of weeks after the new year. (laughs) All right. Well, all right. Now, this being the holidays, you have come up with going through the Marvel Cinematic Universe from best to least. And your mileage may vary, but Aaron, can you walk us through what your take is on the film so far? Yeah, I thought about it for a while, and I've watched all of the movies many, 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 many dozens of times. What I ended up making the list, I started noticing that all of the independent movies where it's just a single character ended up towards the bottom of the list. And anything that had the groups of characters coming together magically floated to the top of the list. And I just think that it ended up as a result of there's so many great character moments built into those. And when you love all the characters and you put them all together, It's just a smorgasbord of delicious fun. So the way that my list started off is, I believe, the weakest movie out of the entire Marvel Universe. I'm sorry, Thor, but you won for Dark World. It's just one of those movies. It's the one I go back to the least. And then the next one at number 16, Incredible Hulk, with the Ed Norton version of Incredible Hulk. Mm -hmm. And it still has a couple of Easter eggs that are maintained through Captain America, like the serum vial is the same in the movie. So, I mean, they still keep their Easter eggs planted firmly in sight. Incredible Hulk being attacked by Stark weaponry and stuff like that. So it's officially part of the canon of the official MCU. Number 15, Iron Man 2. And then right behind that at number 14, Iron Man 3. And I think that Iron Man 2 is a a lesser movie. Iron Man 3 was just a bit better. And then we get to uh, number 13, Thor. And I think I got a thing for Natalie Portman, so that may have influenced it just a little bit. (laughs) Unfortunately, she did not help one iota for Dark World. I don't know why that is. Number 12, Doctor Strange, 11, Ant-Man. And again, these are all introductions Number 10, Captain America, the first Avenger. Number nine, Iron Man. All of those are the very first movie for those characters. And then when you get to number eight, this is where it changes. Guardians of the Galaxy, still the first movie, but you got to team up. Number seven, Avengers Age of Ultron. Number six, Captain America, Winter Soldier. That was a really great movie. A lot of people, I think, would place that a couple notches higher on their list. Number five, and again, it's the only reason it's down there is because this year was so strong with Marvel movies. Number five, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Number four, the first Avengers movie. I really loved it. It was the first time I got to have 
all my characters together. And every time I watch it, I still get that sense of joy of them coming together for the first time. Moving on to number three, Thor Ragnarok. Just an excellent, fun, crazy, wild ride. And then number two, Captain America Civil War. Again, you got your heroes all going against each other. You got Ant-Man turning into Giant Man. You got your first appearance of Spider-Man. And that leads directly to number one. No surprise, Spider-Man Homecoming. I acknowledge personal favoritism of my hero. Again, my list, my rules. I'd love to see what your list is in the comments. The weird thing of it is, is that one of the strengths of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that if you've paid attention, there's that wonderful moment in the fight at the end of Captain America Civil War, where you have Captain America actually say to Iron Man, I could do this all day. You know, which is yeah. which is the throwback to Captain America. The first one. The first event. And it's just, but it's the whole notion of, for an audience that's seen both of those movies and the years that spanned that. Right. But at the same time, I mean, it's weird that you do that and you go in and, and it freshens the character in your mind, which in, in the case of Thor Ragnarok made the film that much more fun because it was such an obvious departure from everything they'd done previously. Oh, yeah, from going from level 17 worst movie out of the entire MCU to being number three yeah. in the span of one movie. And usually, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't sequels usually a diminishing return? No, in fact, that actually used to be the rule of thumb. Used to be. Yeah. I remember talking once with Ralph Winter, the gentleman who produced the Star Trek movies, uh, and he was talking about the fact that in each case, when he went back to Paramount, he'd have to creep in the financial budget because it was like, going to Paramount, they knew from the multiple decades they'd been in the business that, yes, it's a Star Trek movie. It will make money, but it won't make as much money as the one before it. So in each case, it's like, here's your infinitely tighter financial box. Figure out how to make this movie. And usually the stars want more money for every time they come back to the character. It's not like their paycheck goes down with every movie. That's it, exactly. So it then became that much more challenging. Oh, I meant to mention, though, that given that you were such a big fan of the gentleman who directed Thor Ragnarok, did you see where Kathleen Kennedy, the woman who's in charge of Lucas, film actually expressed an interest in having him come to do a Star Wars film? Wow. That's a Christmas future thing, folks. I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but she has expressed an interest, and that would be something very cool to find under the tree. Oh, oh. Yeah, more. Well, yeah. But before I forget, you know, speaking of cool stuff under the tree, a lot of listeners to the, the Marvelous Disney podcast particularly enjoyed when Aaron deconstructed how to do Thor's hammer. And I want to say that was our second episode? Yeah. And so Aaron's got another Marvel-related goodie for you, something else sound-wise. And again, he's previewed it for me, and it's like... I want this so bad in real life, <laughs> especially during those moments when things go south at the, the Thanksgiving table. And it's like, oh, yeah. So please explain what, what you put together for us today. I guess we're kind of sticking with all of the Avengers at the moment mm -hmm. and doing all of their traditional sounds. So we are going to move from Thor's hammer to Iron Man's repulsor blast. And we're going to play just like a little snippet. This will be from Civil War when Iron Man blasts Falcon into the dirt after War Machine plummets into it and makes a nice little crater. So here's that sound from the movie. And if you listen very closely to it, what you're going to hear actually is kind of like in the very beginning of the sound, there's a metallic switch type of toggling sound. And I really didn't have any overly metallic switches available to grab that sound. So uh, I've grabbed a couple different switches. I'm going to blend them together, and I'm also going to EQ them and add a little bit of reverb to them and some other fancy stuff to try and give them more of a metallic sheen. And then the second portion of the sound is quite simply, if you remember old, old camera flashes where they had to charge up and they'd make this annoying whining noise that sounded exactly like this. You remember those, Jim? Oh, God, yes. I, I, well, that was the thing. As soon as I heard that, it's like, oh, okay. Smile for the next 10 seconds. It's almost ready. Hold it. Hold there, it. There you go. <laughs> so we've got a camera flash wind up. And then he's got a very sci-fi type of repulsor blast when the blast actually exits the gauntlet. 
And, you know, I've only got so many sounds to work with, so I grabbed something that was kind of a sci-fi blast. It's not a 100% match. Again, I did a little bit of EQ and some flange and some other silly things to kind of alter the, the shape of the sound a little bit to make it seem a little bit closer to Iron Man's blast. And it's actually made of several parts. We got a sci-fi blast sound effect that sounds like this. We've got a gunshot, and I'm actually gonna take the, the actual bullet exiting the chamber, the, the bang, out of it, and I'm only gonna use the echo. So if you were to shoot a gun across an open field, it wouldn't be the shot, it would be the echoing across the field is all we're gonna keep from that. And then we've got a very loud cannon boom. It's gonna add the oomph and the power. And then uh, after that, we need a body fall. So now we're just gonna edit a couple of those together. We've got our clicks together. We've sped up just a little bit the pitch and the whine of the camera flash. And then we've put together the echo of the gunshot, the loud boom of the cannon, and then the sci-fi blast. We meld all of those together. And then, of course, to make sure someone got hurt from Tony's blast, you got to have a little body fall. And I lowered the volume quite a bit to kind of put him off in the distance to make it seem like he was kind of far away. And now we put all those elements together, connect the dots, hit play, and you get this quasi-Iron Man homemade gauntlet blast. And then one more time, just for comparison, here's the original one more time. It's not quite, but it's close enough to where if you played it for someone, they would go, was that an Iron Man blast? It sounded kind of like an Iron Man blast, just enough to fool someone. No, so. no, no. I mean, I, again. Disney's got more money in their audio department than I do. That's a sad fact, and I'm okay to admit that. <laughs> I, it's kind of the RC Cola version. Let's put it that right. way. All right? It's, it's, That's fine. It's, it's pretty the rip damn close, okay? And more to the point, I just love when you pop the hood on sound like this. It's a part of the business that absolutely fascinates me. It's a lot of fun. We're one of my heroes, a gentleman named Ben Burt. Oh, he is a lord of audio. There we go. The pinnacle, the absolute pinnacle. There's kind of a sad story this month in Vanity Fair where they talk about how for The Last Jedi, this is the first film that Ben hasn't worked on. And in fact, it was not by choice. He's the audio guy who's worked on virtually all of the Lucas films. You know, I mean, all of the way back to the original Star Wars. All and the Hulk. cartoons yeah. And, and, yeah, everything. It's like every sound that was ever created for the Star Wars universe. Now, with that being said, mm -hmm. they've got such a back catalog of sounds that he's created. I mean, R2. R2's not really making any new sounds lately. No, 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 no. So, I mean, he's given them decades of sound and a lot of it was never used no in fact it, the article does touch on that but again you know the what i love about when you talk with audio guys they're the ones like for example he was the one i want to say it's it's a high tension wire yeah for the laser blasters you'd ping it with a like a hammer or a metal wrench and the vibration of it as it travels up the wire is the laser blast as it moves away from the gun to the target the no that's it exactly i mean again only audio guys only guys who yeah. work in that field i mean can hear a sound and realize what else it could be i mean don't get me wrong one of my favorite ben bird stories was when he was putting together the soundtrack for temple of doom and he literally spent a night at disneyland backstage at big thunder mountain and the matterhorn and that sort of thing recording roller coaster noises that he then used for the mind train scenes yeah I got one Ben Burt theory. Mm -hmm. I haven't been able to prove it yet, mm -hmm. but it's a hypothesis. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with the Wilhelm scream? <sighs> yes, 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 yes. Okay. Yep. If people aren't familiar with the Wilhelm scream, it's mm -hmm. the oldest scream in the world. It's been used in all the Star Wars movies, Indiana Jones. If you hear it, you'll know it. Yep. But anyway... It's been it's been used as kind of like an Easter egg by sound designers in practically every movie mm -hmm. since Wilhelm screamed it in the beginning. So Ben Burt did the sound design. It was Attack of the Clones. It was the scene where Jango Fett is chasing Obi-Wan through the asteroid field, and he has this seismic detonator. And as it floats towards Obi-Wan's ship, all of the sound gets kind of sucked away, and it becomes perfectly silent. And then there's this very loud, and this beautiful blue circle of light, and it was the most amazing sound I'd ever heard in, in Star Wars. 
he will not tell anybody how he made that one sound. That's going to be his secret sound that he's going to take with him to his grave. My theory is that he manipulated the Wilhelm scream to high heaven a hundred different ways to create that sound, and that was his last Wilhelm to end all Wilhelms. <laughs> I truly think that he, because it's such a tradition to have it in every movie, and I don't even think it's in episode two. So I'm wondering if he was just like, oh yeah, we'll get it in there, but nobody will ever know it, and, and it's going to be my little secret. Wow. So I'm, I'm, I've been working with Wilhelm screams to see if I can duplicate it. It hasn't worked so far, but I'm no Ben Burt. Well, I apologize, folks. We've wandered a little far afield here of, of Marvel. We did, but we talked about sound, and there I go. There we go. The no, 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 no. But, but again, this is what's different about this podcast, folks. We give you Disney. We give you Marvel. We give you Lucasfilm. We go in a lot of different directions here, which was why, again, if you like what you hear here, Please be supportive. Tell your friends about it. Get it get on iTunes. Comment about the show. And, and again, in 2018, Aaron and I will have a lot to talk about. Absolutely. And actually, just to give a little plug back to one of your other shows, you were speaking about Guardians of the Galaxy, the old Tower of Terror. Mm-hmm. You did a longer podcast, more in-depth with Len on Disney Dish. And I think you did an entire episode pretty much about that whole experience. So if people are curious, we can always go back to the Disney Dish podcast with Jim and Len and find out a whole bunch more about that from from those episodes. The network here is bumping out its borders. I mean, Len just started that Turing Plants podcast. And we're kind of kicking the tires of a Lucasfilm podcast, but we'll get to that soon enough, folks. The uh, Touring Plans podcast Mm -hmm. is absolutely essential if you think you're going to go to Disney World anytime in the next calendar year. And again, it was one of those things where they send me the audio and I start to edit it and I go, okay, what do we got here? And I learned so much where I was just like, oh my God, I think I want to go plan a trip to Disney right now because I think I can actually afford it because they had a lot of ways to save money in that episode to where I used to think going to Disney was impossible on our budget. And now it's all, hey, I might be able to pull this one off. It's it's a good thing to, to check out if you have any interest of thinking about the possibility of going to Disney World or Disneyland. Absolutely. But of course, you want to wait to 2019 because that's when the Guardian rides open up. But we'll talk about that in a future Marvelous Disney podcast. So for Aaron and myself, this is Jim Hill, and thanks for listening. <laughs>